You are listening to the Stand with Dignity podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, we're here with uh, Sister Fiza, and uh, we are going to be discussing the uh, evolution of uh, rituals and the the ways in which we can remember uh, Imam Hussein salam because change is bound to uh, take place in, in every aspect of life. Uh, however, when it comes to stable issues, when it comes to fundamental, basics, principle issues, it's interesting to see how uh, they adapt to the times. So I'm here with uh, Sister Fiza Jaffrey. Um, a PhD student of, of this exact topic uh, in, uh, in Pakistan and also uh, we want to see her perspective um, an academic perspective a, an objective uh, perspective inshallah so uh, Sister Fizza Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh wa alaikum salam thank you for having me thank you for uh, giving us your time so uh, how do you uh, perceive the topic of, uh, of rituals? And um, what is, let's begin by asking, what is the importance of uh, rituals in terms of preserving something that happened almost 2,000 years ago? Right. Um, so I approach this in two ways um, because I am part of the community. So I personally have seen um, in my own life how this tradition has been passed down through generations, uh, through community, and through oral storytelling, right? So we've been hearing uh, the story of Imam Hussein and Karbala since we were kids, and it's been kind of ingrained in us. And um, the way it it transfers is through uh, ritual, um, through community storytelling, through uh, you know, um, these singing of these laments, um, the reciting of poetry, the reciting of uh, the stories over and over, this ritualized remembrance is what continues the story of Imam Hussein. And, um, and then the, the other way I look at it is through an academic perspective. And, and that is also um, it's a big part of ritual theory as well is uh, communal remembrance and communal cultural memory, how a community comes together around a singular memory and uh, remembers it over and over in different ways. And it, the important part is through different ways. So that way, each member of the community can internalize it in their own way. They can relate to it in their own way. And I'm sure you've seen that, um, you know, in different communities that you speak in, you've spoke with, um, how each Pakistani, um, Arab, et cetera, how they have their own ways of remembering. No doubt. Um, with the, with Majalis, um, you know, there, there is, a great exposure to uh, the culture of uh, of people. For example, you know, in Pakistani culture and Iraqi culture, and even um, uh, you go to Lebanese culture, Indian culture. These are uh, things I'm familiar with. Uh, but to to the layman, he has not had exposure, so they don't see things in this in this perspective. Um, and that's why they invite somebody, and they give him fame. And, uh, you know, they encourage him to continue his research. 
in an attempt to be more holistic. So, so do you think that culture is holistic, or is that the um, kind of the the downside of of culture? Does it handicap you, or does it uh, push you to um, kind of expand your horizons and not be so uh, tunnel visioned, as they call it? Right. Um, that is such a great point, um, and. I'm sure you've seen this uh, because it's a hot topic in in our communities and Shia communities especially is the religion versus culture um, issue is how much of culture should be involved in religion right and if if we look at it from a big picture point of view um, there would be no propagation of this religion there would be no propagation of uh, the story of Karbala if it weren't for culture um, culture is what carries our views. It carries our, um, you know, the way we do things, the way we remember things forward. And um, even and I like to point this out. A lot of times, people are like, "Well, this is culture; it shouldn't be mixed with religion." Um, and I like to point out that, for example, um, when Zainab was uh, coming back from Garbala and propagating the message of Garbala. The way she did it wasn't just, hey, this is what happened at Karbala, right? She was crying, she was weeping. And that's also part of culture. Her part, her culture in, in the uh, times of the Arab world at that time was to weep in a certain way. It was to grieve in a certain way. And she, you know, embodied that culture and spread it in a way that was um, translatable to the people around her. Um, similarly, once the message of Karbala traveled across the lands, for example, going from the Arab world to Iran, in Iran, they had their own way of propagating that. And that message wouldn't have spread if it were not for culture. Again, when it went from Safavid Iran to India and Pakistan and, and the Indian subcontinent, it changed again. And it was relatable for the people there in their own terms. So the message of Karbala would not have been able to be propagated, would not have been able to be translatable and understandable if it were not for this culture and this ritual in these different ways. I think that's a fantastic point, but uh, but again, um, what what is uh, the um, uh, kind of what makes culture uh, a thing? Mm -hmm. so a lot of people talk about this. Is that a thing? Why is that a thing? Who made this a thing? Uh, could this actually be a thing? What does it mean to be a thing? Things, right? And uh, so the Quran does not speak about culture. It speaks mm -hmm. about events, right? You know. So our discussion right now is not, is the word culture uh, in the Quran or what does culture mean in Urdu or what does what's the translation of culture in Farsi? See, that's not our discussion. Our discussion now is, is a culture uh, something real? Mm -hmm. What is culture? Is it picking up a cup of tea? Is it, and what's its relationship with religion? Mm -hmm. Religion is from God. Right. Uh, God is real. We, we know, you know, you have atheists, you have a lot of uh, funny people who, who question God, but whether you question it or not, it's still, uh, you know, that's your opinion. That's that's actually a greater proof of God's existence. Now that now you're speaking about his mercy and it gets all um, detail-y and, and interesting. But we want to stabilize culture. Mm -hmm. Culture is what we're calling what is preserving 
something essential to God's uh, argument, God's argument. And that's what they call Ahlul Bayt, Hujjatullah. He is God's argument. Now, um, what what are the elements of culture, in your opinion, for example, or what are the what is uh, culture's dimensionality? What mm -hmm. is the X factor uh, of of culture? Because yes. because it's it's stabilizing, uh, you know, important things. Right. So we're questioning culture. Who is culture? What is culture? Right. Um, to go back to, I think the easiest way to explain it and to go back to your own example is picking up a cup of tea is not culture, right? But it's the way you pick up that cup of tea, the way you drink that tea. Do you pour it into a saucer? That's culture. Do you drink it in, you know, in a small cup, in a big cup? Do you share it with people? That's culture. So, um, and, and, um, to go back to your other point, you're right, um, the story of Karbala does not need culture to survive, right? It's, it's yeah. God's proof. Uh, you know, it's Elibet's proof of God that this is uh, this is the message of God. But well, I think culture is a beautiful way for it to be spread, for it for people to understand. Um, there is something in um, the academic world in the study of Shiism called the Karbala paradigm, and. Uh, Michael Fisher, uh, when the uh, Iranian revolution was happening, he uh, coined this term. And it's basically just saying that Karbala is a paradigm for the ways uh, different Shia communities understand themselves. And I think that exactly is what is embodied by culture, is how do we understand Karbala? That each each community has their own way of understanding. And at the, at the root of it, it's one singular understanding of you know, this is the truth of God. It is God is just. God is on uh, is the righteous path. But how do we get to that understanding? I think that is culture, and that is it's important. Uh, how how each community understands it in their own circumstances, um, and and that's where culture comes in. And it's um, it's not just about uh, you know different ways of remembering. It's just it's. A different ways of understanding, I would say. Okay, uh, so people want to know um, that this is very important. People want to know this is this is impetus. Uh, people want to know um, is is our culture, for example, the winning culture. <laughs> this is very important uh, because um, you know we're living in a in a time where we're getting closer to the buhur mm -hmm. of our twelfth imam. So if our culture is not the winning culture, then we're not doing a good job in preparing for Zuhur because Zuhur wants to come. And um, this is this is something essential. Uh, so is our culture a winning culture? Because in the 70s, they said yes. In the 80s, they said yes. In the 90s, they said yes. But today, um, there are sleeping cells. We refer to them as sleeping cells. They know what's happening. Mm -hmm. They understand uh, what's uh, what takes place in events and what it means when uh, when somebody uh, puts his life on the line for something, but still turns a blind eye to it. People sacrifice. So sleeping cells and culture is a discussion. For example, that I couldn't have yesterday. For example, it's right. something I couldn't have spoken about ten years ago. 
But we know that we are a winning culture because we, we can have this discussion now. So, so what do you think is the purpose of culture, if not for the story of uh, of Karbala, for example? Because mm -hmm. there are attempts to do what you know. This is what Wahhabism, by the way, what they did is that they uh, they want to um, you know kind of academicize you know the whole. Uh, story of of Karbala, you know, mm -hmm. some guy named Hussein, some guy, and I've never understood the attempt to do this. Uh, I, I I don't know why you want to uh, kind of suck the emotional, mm -hmm. uh, the spiritual, the the good parts, and and that's Wahhabism, by the way. So you, as Sister Filva, what do you think is uh, the uh, the purpose of culture, if not to preserve the story of Imam Hussein alayhisalam? It's about the, the tea and not right. the cup, but the kettle, yes. <laughs> right. I think, um, so as you said, uh, culture is, is, it preserves that emotion too, right? So it's the, if if you just say, if you were just to pass on the message of Karbala, there was this man who was a righteous man and he was, uh, he sacrificed everything in a land called Karbala uh, for the good you know that doesn't have the same uh effect the same um resonance as when you infuse it with emotion when you infuse it with the culture and you and you are able to um have it relate to people and and going back to you know the winning culture like who who is you know which is the best culture which is the culture that is is winning i don't think that is perhaps maybe the right question to be asking. I think question. the question maybe you is can, you can help us. Yeah, I, I I think the the question should be if if you're zoning in on a certain culture, is this culture serving the purpose uh, that the story of Karbala is meant to propagate? Is it for you know? So for example, if if uh, a culture of the Pakistani Shia culture, for example, that's what I study, right? Are they, uh, is that culture the message of Karbala? Is that culture propagating that message? Is it carrying on the right message of Karbala? Or is it just, you know, um, you know, commemorating uh, an event long ago, you know, for a month, two months out of the year, and that's it. There's no emotional connection. There's no, uh, no uh, real connection to it. So I think that's where culture comes in is where it infuses that emotion. It infuses that, that sense of personal relation to the story of Karbala. And it gives it a, a greater purpose where it's like, okay, this is not just a story of Karbala. It's a message that we need to move forward. Correct. And uh, the apathy which a lot of people have uh, towards, um, uh, towards myself as a uh, public figure, for example, because I'm not a doctor, for example, or because I'm not a, a dentist of, of some sort. But, you know, I, I, I lean towards... Uh, towards religion you know uh, interestingly before like at least uh, maybe 50 years ago in the time of Saddam mm -hmm. uh, religion was something prestigious mm -hmm. let me tell you how it was so for example Shaheed Muhammad Baqar al-Sadr being alongside him was prestigious you were in opposition to Saddam it was you know something it was something special so people who saw themselves worthy to hold the banner 
of uh, of Islam used to kind of tag along with Shahid al-Sadr to the extent where he was like, don't take a picture with me. You're not mm -hmm. allowed to take a picture with me. Because why? No, not because of that. Because if Saddam was to see you alongside me, he would get you... Absolutely. Absolutely. Killed. He would get you killed. So religion was prestigious and uh, culture was somewhere there. Mm -hmm. This is how it was. Now, what we find happening is that uh, culture... You, you kind of have a small circle of religion within culture. Before, mm -hmm. culture was within religion. It's a phenomenal point. Amazing. Right, but, right. Wow, but why? How did this happen? A lot of people are wondering, when did this happen? How did this happen? Is it hard work? If it's hard work, hard work by who? Mm -hmm. so these are things which people think about. Do you know anything about that? That is actually a really interesting uh, point, and I think you would have a better idea of that since um, you're a lecturer and, and you've seen this in communities. Um, I I actually I'm not sure because I think people in your opinion, your opinion, like in your right. opinion, because you you PhD student, you know. Yeah. So I think um, I think what it is is that people these days are drawn to something out of the ordinary, right? Um, for them, religion doesn't hold that same, and, and this is for a numerous amount of reasons. It could be it could be propaganda. It could be that they personally just don't have a connection anymore. It could be um, they're more caught up in their lives in, in, you know, this late stage of capitalism where they're like, you know, we, we have other things to worry about. And I think culture kind of draws them back in, but then they stay in that circle of culture where they don't move into the religion, where it should be at the stage of, okay, culture connects you to the religion, but they're staying in that sphere of just culture. And, um, and I think uh, this is a kind of a contentious example. Um, but for example, if you look at um, in Trinidad, uh, they have the Jose uh, procession right and it is it has been stripped of all of its religious uh meanings it is completely almost like carnival um where it is just culture it is the culture of the tazie and of the alums and of the procession and even the word hosen has been corrupted to jose where they've lost the religious meaning but the culture is still there and it has those religious undertones but it doesn't have the religion in it anymore um a lot of the participants in jose don't even know what the original uh purpose was which is it was a Husseini procession um, from Haram. So um, there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons that could be where people still cling to the culture. Perhaps it's easier to cling to something where it's you can see it. Religion is perhaps a little bit more difficult uh, to cling to if you don't have you know the resources, right? If you don't have a community that is strong in um, in its in its religion in its uh, propagation of religion, but culture is something that is so widespread that it's easy to hang on to. And I think that's that's where um, a lot of communities are today, where they're just stuck in the sphere of of culture. So in your studies, like in Oxford, correct? Yes. You know, I wanted, I was interested in going to Oxford like uh, three years ago, but my two years uh, in Ann Arbor uh, mm -hmm. kind of um, uh, sufficed. But what do you, what do you think uh, is like the different uh, shades 
uh, of um, your 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 studies. So you study kind of uh, this ritual uh, topic in Oxford and then in in, in Pakistan now mm-hmm. and uh, maybe maybe elsewhere. Uh, so all of this, so you take some from here, some from there, and you you mix it all together and you you see what you get. You're like a, a kind of a uh, you know a scientist. I, 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 that would be a, it would be great if I was a scientist. <laughs> what are your findings? What's the takeaway? Uh, what did you, uh, what did you notice that others didn't notice? I think, I think this, is, this is how it works in, uh, in college, right? This is what right, you want to say. Your, your opinion. Right. I think, uh, so my specific, uh, study is on Karachi's Azadari, Karachi's Muharram commemorations. And the thing about Karachi is that it's a melting pot of so many different communities um, from from the Indian subcontinent. They, you have the Iranian diaspora there, you have Khojas, you have Hazaras, you have Mahajars from India, you have Sindhi, Balochi, Punjabi. You have so many different kinds of people and therefore you have so many different kinds of Azadari. And I think what I found through my fieldwork is that there is a single thread that is running through all of it. And it is simply that at the end of the day, each commemoration is simply a expression of love. It's an expression of devotion to Imam Hussein. So whether somebody is taking out a quiet procession in, in you know, the middle of the city, or like, for example, uh, the people of Amroha do on the 8th of Muharram, uh, they do a quiet procession. Um, and then on the 10th, you have this huge procession where there's uh, it's loud, it's chaos, it's so many people, it's it's nothing like you've uh, ever seen before. And and yet, as you can see this common thread where it's just, this is, when you take a step back and you look at it, it's just somebody uh, expressing their love for Imam Hussein. And I think that is something that's been lost in the study of Shiism academically. Um, I think people have started focusing too much on this is the way uh, this community study, uh, you know, uh, practices. This is the way this community does this strange practice or, you know, whatever. Um, but they have forgotten that, okay, but why are they doing it? What is the purpose of them practicing a certain way? And the, the answer is for the love of Imam Hussein, uh, simply put. I think that is the that is something that's been lost and that is slowly coming back into the study of Shiism. You know, in uh, Christianity, they have for the love of Jesus. Yes. In, uh, in Judaism, they have for the love of like you know, God knows what. But um, but for us, we say for the love of Imam Hussein. Mm-hmm. How do we how do we preserve how do we preserve the sacredness, uh, Sister Fadla? Uh, Joffrey of of Imam Hussein salam, because he what you know Christianity they have this uh they call it the 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 holy Bible in Arabic it's not holy holy uh you know it's sacred it's a sacred right. book so you might be a drinker you might be a clubber you might be even a murderer like Saint Paul but when you come to the Bible mm-hmm. we want you to be uh you know you have to be good today. You know, you have to show us something uh, which uh, Jesus would be proud of. In Arabic, they call it muqaddas, mm-hmm. sacred. It's not only holy. It's a kind of like uh, sacred. 
Uh, in Islam, we say Al-Quran Al-Kareem, uh, the, the honorable mm-hmm. uh, by, uh, Quran. So, so how do we preserve the sacredness of Imam Hussein? That you might be somebody who has done like crazy sins, like even adultery, God forbid. I think it's the worst. I think in Islam, because it says don't even come close to that. Don't, don't go there. People go there. And I go there. And she goes there. And he goes there. And, and we find that um, when they come for those 10 nights, we see a new side of them. This is, this is very important. Mm-hmm. There are people who don't wear scarves, for example. There are men who don't pray. Mm-hmm. But on the 10th of Muharram, he's where? He's in the majlis of Aba Abdullah. Now, and some, some become speakers and some uh, start reciting Noha. Some, uh, so we find miracles, miracles of Imam Hussein. So the topic of miracles, for example. But how how do we preserve, in your opinion, the sacredness of the story of Karbala? Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, it's a great point. Um, that the miracle of I think Muharram and the story of Karbala is that it manages to bring every type of person to this uh, to the majlis of Imam Hussein during the ten days. People you don't see, you know, for years you don't see, you maybe see them on. Uh, Eid, uh, namaz and, and that's about it uh, but you will for sure see them on Ashura um, and so I think that there's a certain beauty that's that's a strong pull that the story of Karbala has that Imam Hussain has where you any type of person regardless of sinning or or whatever uh, is able to come to the majlis during the 10 days and the question is, how, how it, it, what do they take away during those 10 days? And I think that's the responsibility of, of the speakers there, right? So um, what are, what are, how are they explaining the story of Karbala in a way that keeps the person coming back um, instead of just, you know, going back to their lives and going back to, you know, whatever sins they are committing or, or whatever. Um, so it's, it really depends, I, and I've, I've seen this in my own community where we have people come who, who don't ever come, and it depends on the speaker. If the speaker is compassionate and understanding and is trying to really retain the person uh, to come back the next few days, that is more valuable than somebody sitting on the member and and you know saying you did this wrong you did this wrong and this is how it should be the, the person's not going to come back um and i think this is this is also something that culture has to do with as well where it's like people come back for you know because they want to recite noha because they want to somehow express their love for imam hussein and they don't know how but this is a space where they're able to um and and it's it's up to the speaker, it's up to the, uh, you know, the person who, how to draw them, not just draw them in, but how to keep them there. And you know, I would... Yes, in Iraqi culture, uh, we, they reached, they reached that uh, realization, but then what speakers started to do is they started to lie. Mm. And, or going too far, taking it uh, to extents, which you weren't supposed to, uh, like, Take it, and they used to say, uh, come up with narrations, and then they would come up to them after, like, where did you get this narration from? There is no such thing, and they they would be like, either I saw it in my dream, dreams, uh, in and rituals, and uh, and all kinds of all kinds of things, 
but and this this came from really an uh inferiority which they were trying to uh kind of fill up um so how can we keep culture as a source of strength and not a source of kind of uh like a scapegoat or mm -hmm. a uh, i think culprit or what they call it you you need to i think i think in my opinion my humble opinion uh from from what i know is that uh there are things which you might do they refer to it as mubah mm -hmm. you know you have wajib you have haram you have halal and you have mustahab makru and then you have you know this guy he barely made it his name is mubah mubah is like for example drinking water but the muslim doesn't have mubah this is this is the issue so for example if you drink water if it's for the sake of allah this becomes mustahab Mm -hmm. If you're, for example, I don't know, clipping your nails in an attempt to look beautiful for your husband or the husband wants to look beautiful for his wife, this is, this is mustahab, maybe even wajib at this point, wajib. So, so how, how do we preserve the um, kind of the, the real, the realness of, of culture and not go too far and not cut it too short? Just keep it as it is. Do you think we have to go back in time? Or is that also a uh, scapegoat? Uh, something like we're kind of, um, uh, you know, supplanting. Some, something we're making up for. Right. Uh, because it doesn't look good in front of the people, you know? Right. Um, I think uh, there's, there's two points to that. Um, one is that I think we just have to, uh, and, and maybe this is, and this is what communities have done through, throughout time is they eventually just go back to the simple message of Karbala, right? Um, when when you lose yourself in all these different kinds of commemorations and, and you have, you know, these processions and, and these nohe and, and so much going on, at the end of the day, if you just go back to a simple narration of Karbala and you read, you know, this is what happened at Karbala, I think that suffices for for a person to to relate back to Karbala, right? That's it. If that's it, All you need is that that simple narration that says this is what happened at Karbala and that's enough to make a person weep. Um, that's enough to draw yeah, them yeah, to come out in front. Right, <laughs> right. That's if it, if it was only that simple. Um, and then the other thing is, and, and this is I, I'm I'm not sure where I stand with this because it, it is it is difficult where people bring in culture um, and culture is constantly evolving. Right, so many different things are happening and it's like. Well, if somebody else is looking uh, in, you know, from outside and they, they, they're like, what is this? What are you doing? You know, um, they're not going to like it. But at the same time, the person who is doing it, that's their expression of love. So who are we to comment on how they're expressing their love for Imam Hussein, right? Well, but at the same time... We are truth seekers, we are objective, we are academics, we are theologians. So if we're not going to look at it, who's going to look at it? That is true. That's true. But that's that's exactly why yeah, I'm saying is where I'm not, I'm not sure why like or where I stand because because at the same time it's like at the end of the day they are it's between them and God right how how they communicate with God how they communicate and how they relate to the story of Rabbala we cannot control it we can only we can't control the narrative all we can do is say hey this is one way to do it 
and this is another way to do it. Um, you can pick, you know, and if you're going beyond beyond this, that may not be acceptable. Uh, that's all we can say. Yeah. For the person, it's up to the person to decide. How do I want to express my love? How do I want to show my devotion to uh, Imam Hussein within certain bounds? Um, and if they want to go beyond those bounds, I'm of the thinking that, you know what? That's up to them. That's between them and God. That's it. If somebody else is looking, it's not my responsibility to be looking at, you know, hey, the West is looking at us and saying, what are you doing? Okay, who who said the West is the parameter that we have to, you know, you know we have to live up to? Uh, I don't think so. So, for example, Tadbir, um, it's contentious. There's lots of people who, who are against it, who are for it. it. That's up to them, whether they are for it or against it. I, my, my thinking is, why does it matter what, you know, John that lives down the street says about it? Does not matter. It's up to the community who is practicing or not practicing it. John down the street has nothing to do with it. So that I think is uh, that that's my standing. Paramount, yes. Uh, so, sister uh, Fiba, I uh, I have uh, been uh, like um, kind of thinking about this too. What what can we what can we do to um, pre present Karbala in a way which is uh, kind of convincing? You know, have you heard about the art of convincing? Right, right. Yes. So how, I mean, you might have a good product. And I used to say this when I was like 17. I used to go up there, you might have a good product, but if you don't know how to market it, nobody's going to listen to you. And and I think I think like um, that's still true. It's, it's not, I, did not, I did not come up with this, but it's something I like to say. So, so how do we convince other people about the product which you have? You know, mm -hmm. uh, the, the Najjar family, uh, they're not scholars. They're businessmen. Mm -hmm. So so what I did is I was like, okay, businessmen, now let's market religion. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's still a struggle because from my experience, from my experience, when you mention religion, people uh, get bored. I mm -hmm. think they start yawning. Or like if you talk for some reason, for some reason or another, it's like God knows why. But but I think, I think not only is it the speaker's uh, job, to um, you know, spark interest in in religion. It's everybody's job. This is mm -hmm. very important. So when did the speaker become the the speaker? Uh, a lot of a lot of speakers do this nowadays. Uh, and I'm like, nobody nobody is center of attention except for Imam Mahdi. Mm -hmm. This this is essential. And uh, keeping that is important, but more so how to market what you have when you're sitting in front of like. A, uh, the West, you spoke about the West. And the reason why we mentioned the West, uh, Europe, uh, you know, the US, and uh, and so on and so forth, is because they're currently, you know, uh, like um, spearheading the, uh, the 20, 21st century. And uh, like, even, uh, you know, when, when, uh, uh, when, when things um, really went uh, haywire, in um in in 79 you know something happened in 79 if you if you, if you remember in both in iran and iraq in iraq uh in 79 saddam hussein became the butcher of baghdad you know he wasn't always the butcher but in 79 and especially in in qaatul 
khuld, they call it, where he was like, if I mention your name, walk out. And that, and you would never hear about that guy again. Mm -hmm. And he mentioned the, the Najjar family, you know? So uh, in 79, Saddam Hussein became uh, Saddam uh, al-Mujrim. Al-Mujrim, Saddam Hussein, the criminal. And you you saw you saw in the video slowly slowly how you would the way he was drinking and smoking and uh, his eyes and things really just got uh, you know uh, black, and then that became a shock wave to everybody else in the crowd who was trying to resist it, but that is what caused them to become even more evil than uh, they were. So that was it. That was it in seventy nine in Iraq. In seventy nine, what happened in Iran? The the revolution. Mm -hmm. Of uh, Imam Al Khomeini, rahmatullahi So, so my point, my point is that a lot of a lot of these changes uh, took place, and and uh, change is bound to happen. Uh, but how do we guarantee that religion uh, doesn't doesn't change? Mm -hmm. How do we guarantee that culture doesn't change? What changes? What doesn't change? You know, what's uh, dynamic, what's stable? You know, Shahid al-Sadr, uh, Muhammad Baqir al-Sadr, he's also one of the, uh, you know, like, like crazy smart guys in, in Iraq. Uh, they, they refer to him as the genius and, and, and stuff like that. But he speaks about, you know, there are things which are stable, things which are uh, dynamic. So, so what part of culture do you want to stay, in your opinion? And what do you, what do you, what, what is bothering you in terms of uh, what we refer to as culture? If, mm -hmm. if you have answered that. Yeah. Um, one story that, uh, that came up to me when you were speaking about uh, Saddam the Butcher um, that always kind of speaks to me is when uh, the fall of Saddam happened, despite years and years of Saddam killing maiming, butchering, all these uh, Shias, right? Uh, cutting their hands, um, hands and feet, stopping Ziara. The second the fall of Saddam happened, what did the Shias of Iraq do? They ran towards Imam Hussein. They ran towards Karbala, right? They were like, this is our moment. This is, we finally have the opportunity to for the Ziara of Imam Hussein without fear of Saddam. And and those who weren't able to go before, they they ran towards and um a commentator, um, I believe his name is Sam Harris. Um he's an Orientalist and uh he he was like the first thing that these people do of freedom is run towards uh, a shrine. Like this is what they're doing. They're commemorating the death of somebody from 1400 years ago. And I think what that really spoke to was that the, 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 that you're saying, you know, what's dynamic and what's stable. The stable part is Imam Hussein, the story of Karbala, right? That is the common thread. That is something that will never change. And what draws people to Imam Hussein is his message. It's his uh, expression of love for God. And that is what uh, is stable. That is what doesn't change. Um, so I think culture at the end of the day, uh, there are different expressions of grief and that is our that is culture different communities have their uh, different ways of expressing and at the bottom line is still that message of Karbala that love of Imam Hussein that stays the same and what changes what you know there's a lot of things that are happening 
in terms of culture that are dynamic and are perhaps, you know, strange, we find strange, um, or that we find bothers us. And I mean, I can't really pinpoint any one thing because that is their expression of, of devotion. But um, I think the only way to get back to the original message of Karbala is just to look towards Karbala, look towards Imam Hussein, look at the message. And, and that's where people will find the most basic form of, of love. And that is the only way to bring culture in, uh, in accordance with religion. That's, I mean, that's how I see it. So you mentioned fear, um, and uh, they resorted to to Yom Hussein. Okay, that's that's a good point. But fear um, is is something which uh, a lot of uh, dictators wanted. You know, dictators. There's a lot of dictators. Saddam used to copy Stalin. Mm-hmm. For example, that one, or you know, the way he would put his hand out. This was uh, Joseph Stalin style. Joseph Stalin was influenced by Hitler. Hitler was influenced, but but the creation of fear in a in a society, you know, it preserves culture. Did you know that? Yeah, absolutely. So what's all that about? So uh, that's and that's what I'm saying is, uh, despite the the fear that he instilled or tried to instill in the Iraqi Shias, right? The second he he all he did was found it is compound that love for Imam Hussein where you're stopping these people from going for Ziara, that is that doesn't matter. They still have love for Imam Hussein, right? So that fear, it's it's just it's temporary. Um and and all it does is compound this this feeling of resistance, this feeling of okay, you know, you are trying to stop what is only natural to us what is only a, a part of us and 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 we're going to keep that hold it very close to us um a lot of communities um of shias particularly in south asia um were persecuted and are still persecuted and so that fear that you know that is that they're trying to be imposed on them all it does is make them run towards the story of Karbala even more um so one example would be on um in 2009 there was a bombing uh in Karachi on the Ashura procession and um people were scared and and the message was oh you know there's going to be another bombing it'll be very you know it would be terrifying etc what happened on Arbaeen numerous it was a uncountable people showed up for the Arbaeen procession instead of uh, being afraid that you know what um, we should stay back who knows what's going to happen all it did was compound the love for Imam Hussein they showed up and they were like yeah okay you can you can scare us you can try and uh, push us away through fear but all it does is push us closer to Imam Hussein right that's the message of Imam Hussein and Karbala like you can try to uh, impose your impose your fear impose your uh, you know power but at the end of the day, these people are still going to run towards uh, Imam Hussein. So uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, fear is is this temporary thing that all it does is compound uh, this preservation of devotion. So you're defending fear or you're against fear or for fear? <laughs> I'm neither here to defend nor I'm neither here to defend nor support. All I'm saying is what I've seen.
Yeah, see, Anna, I disagree. The reason why I disagree is uh, is because, uh, you know, Saddam's decision to uh, create fear um, was uh, nonchalant. You know what nonchalant means? I'm yeah. sure you know. Nonchalant. For example, it was not willful. A lot of people, this is, this is what they'll tell you. And uh, they'll also tell you that it was... Uh, kind of uh, un unwillful. So so the people pushed him. Uh, you can see this in the video. The people pushed him, uh, you know, to uh, become uh, somebody who will prevent what could happen, for example, in 2022. Now, why do they want to prevent something which is going to happen in 2022 uh, is because I think they have a uh, strong uh, desire to just live a good life. They want to live a good life. And they will tell you that um, they would. They were trying uh, many attempts to kind of get Saddam to snap out of it. Snap out of it. Uh, through many attempts, either through humor. That's why Iraqis are very funny people, number one. Through humor. Number two, through uh, kind of uh, showing him something worse, which eventually just made him push, uh, you know, faster and stronger towards the evil ways. And at one point, he would actually look like a demon. This is number number two, showing him some, something worse. Number three is by kind of uh, trying to guide him. And I think this is this is something which a lot of people are going to study. When you when you try to guide him, or for example, uh, taking pictures of him praying while wearing shoes, for example, why was he wearing his shoes? Uh, people will 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 tell you that when we tried, and this is all related with culture and religion. But when we tried to guide him, for example, telling him go visit Imam Hussein, or go visit Imam Ali, or go and sit with the scholars, and he did. There are videos of him sitting with Ayatollah Fuhi, and. Uh, you know, he was, uh, or videos of him saying that we're going to expand the shrine of Imam Ali, which is not something a dictator would say. But he would, uh, in my opinion, I don't know. I don't know, but I think about it. I think about, okay, so when they, all of this, we don't have documents about this. It's something you can only assume, you can only think about it. It's much of, of what you can do. When they would, when they come to him and try to guide him, ehdi, in Arabic they say ehdi, guide him. You know, his response, in my opinion, was, and it, I think it's essential because you want to have, it's not documented, and maybe this is the first time some, anybody says this, you know, this is good for uh, for the video, is that, is guidance, is guidance going to uh, give us good life? And this is, this is, this is disbelief. So the reason, the reason is not because of, of, of me or, or you or somebody in 2022 or anything like that. It's called kufur. Kufr, kufr, disbelief. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, he says, I allow you to do anything except, like, why don't you testify? Why don't you uh, believe in, in, in God? And this is a common problem which, which, which a lot of people have. Uh, Pharaoh tried to normalize it. And today, Pharaoh is famous until today. Like, if I ask you, do you like Pharaoh? I mean, sure, I think he's a cool guy. I think that's common response. And uh, Pharaoh in the Quran says, Ana I'm your Lord. This was an attempt 
to normalize disbelief. So everybody has their argument. My argument is that disbelief is, is unacceptable. Nobody is center of attention except for 12th Imam. If this is something we cannot establish in our communities, then then uh, really put the culture discussion under the carpet, put, uh, put everything else you know some, somewhere else and blame and scam and you, really you can start doing whatever you want. But if you cannot put 12th Imam as center of attention, what do you think? What do you what do you think that's about in your opinion? Um so I've gotten what are you talking about? A lot of people, that's what they tell me when I when I when I reach this point. So please go ahead. No, um, so one point I think is important. Um, so yes, uh, for example, uh, the example of Ferron. If if Ferron's name was not known, then we wouldn't have this example of Kufr, right? So that's one point. So um, I think it is important to have uh, not in the spotlight. Can you repeat that word? It was not clear. The last word you said. I'm saying, uh, so to have Fir'on, right, uh, known. Known. His name known is important so you can distinguish what is Kufr and what is not. Um, you Fir'on must be known so you know what Kufr is. Otherwise, you won't, right? You don't have an example of Kufr then. Um, I'm not saying he should be the spotlight. Absolutely not. Um, I think, but to have an example of Kufr is important uh, to know that there is there was a person named Firon and he did these evil things. And he is an example of Kufr. Um, so I think, um, I mean, in... I think whatever else you were saying is correct. Yes, the the last imam should be in the spotlight, and um, and we need to have this foil of of you know we have this righteous good person, the imam, and the foil is kufr. It's uh, it's it's Peron, it's it's Namrud, it's all of these people who who are against you know righteousness. So um, I think that. I don't know if that answers uh, your... Yeah, I've gotten that before. Saddam is Fir'aun. This is what my dad tells me. Saddam is Fir'aun. I don't know what that what that means exactly, but it means he's a kafir. And it means he is a... Uh, uh, he's he's outside of the system of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, let, let's, let's kind of, uh, you know, backtrack and, and think about uh, what happened with, uh, with Ibrahim what happened with uh, Nuh, what happened with Ayyub, until you reach Adam. And they refer to it as the first sin. What was the motivation of uh, Adam, uh, alayhi salam, to sin? And uh, this, is, this is something which, uh, which I, I think has to do with his, uh, his parents. And the Quran says that, you know, um, he did not have any parents. Uh, he did not have any thrust. He, he was he was out of it that day, and and that's when that's where Shaytan got him. his parents and his character. So really, if you if you want to speak about culture, uh, it's, it has to do with parents and 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 uh, character, both of which, according to the Quran, Adam uh, did not have. So if you have uh, good parents, and if you have a strong character, then I think you can really uh, start to contribute. 
because not many are contributing. Not many are. A lot of them, when they get married, they disappear. A lot of them. A lot of them, when they, uh, you know, they don't come to the mosque anymore. And they don't even know. Mosque does not really resonate anymore. Or like uh, the, the, the scarf or, or whatever, whatever it is, whatever it is. A lot of people, they do not, they do not have uh, the same uh, smile which they used to have. So they cannot contribute anymore. And they feel that. So they distance further and they distance further. And then once they're going to come back and it's going to be a fatal blow, a blow to me and you and to everybody else. So, so, so again, uh, how do we return the electricity to culture? This is very important. And I think people resonate with this. Uh, and when they remember, they start getting angry. But how do you, how do you return the electricity to, to mosque? How do you return the electricity to, uh, to, to Pakistan? The electricity in, uh, in, in, in Iraq. And until today, when you're talking to somebody in Iraq, the electricity uh, turns off. Imagine, imagine to that level. Now, are you looking too deep into it? I, I don't know, but uh, but you need to you need to really find a way to be uh, to not be a sleeping cell, mm -hmm. be a sleeping cell, because people are gonna ask who caused this, and my answer my answer is somebody pulled the plug a long time ago, long time ago. I think either in the forties or in the thirties, somebody somebody had an intention to just. Uh, you know, uh, they discussed this uh, topic. Could you pull a plug in Islam? Could you pull a plug when somebody's on the deathbed? Are you allowed to pull the plug? And um, Islam says, no, you're not allowed to pull the plug. But how about the social plug? You know, how about how about the the cultural plug? How about the theological plug? Who pulled it? And and how how were things? How could we kind of uh, put this generation on the map? Um, because I think that's what's bothering a lot of people. Uh, I think you 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 alluded to this, um, which is uh, why is the uh, the current generation, which some has referred to as Generation X, because we are the latest generation, uh, not on the map. And why why do we still have to resort back to Saddam's name and to Pharaoh's name? Uh, I'm not saying we need a current dictator. No, but we need really good to be stronger than evil today that's when our imam will come out if evil is uh is stronger than good then he'll uh he'll come out so what do you what do you think about about that glitch um i agree on some points um but i do think our our generation um currently is doing a lot of uh they are trying to kind of bring it back and and the the example that comes to mind is for example yeah. um the what I've seen in in this generation over in different communities is, for example, the donating of blood, right, uh, during Haram. So this is a new. It's it's still part of culture, but this is a new way of commemorating Imam Hussein, right? Um, and so I think um, I think to infuse that, I guess, to use your example of electricity back into, into the mosque, into, uh, into different communities and culture. This is one way that they're doing it. They're doing it in their own way. And, um, and this is, I guess, the newest way that they have found um, 
donating blood, um, organizing peaceful marches uh, in, in, you know, Western cities, for example, that's instead of taking out like a huge procession that we see back, you know, in, in Arab, uh, Iranian and uh, South Asian lands, they see like a, a peaceful march is what they would call it now. Um, things like that. So this is a different kind of culture. I would say this is a newer, um, uh, a new type of Azadari culture, and it's a different way of expressing love for Imam Hussein. And I think um, it's it's also something that is infusing and bringing back the electricity, as you said, uh, into our communities. Uh, Sister Fizza Jafri, uh, that was uh, a, a great discussion which we had. Um, uh, thank you for your time, uh, and uh, inshallah, uh, we see more of these kinds of frank and uh, transparent and honest uh, discussions, which everybody could uh, benef benefit from, inshallah ta'ala. So uh, with that, um, I am uh, Ali Al-Najjar, and uh, this is uh, Sister Fizza Jafri, and thank you for joining us. And uh, yeah, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. If you have any uh, last words. Uh, no, thank you so much for having me. It was a, a great discussion. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Assalamu alaikum.